shout of praise this morning. We worship you, Jesus. We honor you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we pray this morning as we turn to look at your word and look what you want to speak to us about this morning as, as we take this time, we set it aside. I pray you'd encourage every person this morning. I pray you would challenge us, Lord God. I pray that this morning that these interviews and these moments together would really inspire our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can take a seat this morning. I'm going to invite to the platform this morning Alan Douglas and Darren McMahon, who are going to come and join me on the platform this morning. And we are, uh, come on, give me a huge hand as they come. A huge happy Father's Day to all the dads this morning and I'm excited about this interview this morning because we're going to be talking about a few different issues. We're going to be talking about adoption this morning, we're going to be talking about um, meeting our Heavenly Father and we're going to be talking about what it's like and the journey of fatherhood as well to be a father. But uh, I thought we'd kick off this morning with a bit of a get to know us this morning, get to know these guys and so I'll start but we're going to ask what is your full name? And tell us a little bit, a bit about your family and a little bit about what you're interested in as well. And so I'll kick off. My name is Benjamin James Sattler. I, I have three kids and one wife. <laughs> and uh, I'm a massive Newcastle Knights fan. I work here at church. I'm a pastor. That's what I do. But um, massive motorbike fan as well. Uh, and that's a little bit about me. So Al, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Um... Yeah, I also only have one wife. Um, one's enough. But she's good. She's a good one, though. She's a good one. Uh, I've been married for 45 years in two weeks. So we won't be at the Connections weekend because we were celebrating 45 years. So we're, That's we're worth connected. It. We're yeah, connected. Uh, we have four sons um, and seven grandchildren from 23-year-old down to a four-year-old. Um, yeah, so, and I love the Penrith Panthers. Oh, sorry, my full name is actually Robert Allen Douglas, but you can call me Alan. Come on, thanks, Robert. Um, Daz, why don't you tell us? You guys have so much better names than I do. I mean, my name, Darren, is okay, but I've got Darren Wayne McMahon and uh, Westy Wayne. Um, so... Um, but Darren Wayne McMahon, I am two as well. I only have one wife. Um, you can only train one, I reckon. But, um, you know, <laughs> I am so dead, but this is my moment. <laughs> no, no. Um, and I have four awesome children and no grandchildren. A uh, couple of boys want to date my oldest two girls. And um, so that's okay. We'll deal with them as they... <laughs> As they keep showing up. Anyway, what else do you want to... Oh, I'm, I too am a Panthers fan. My goodness, happy Father's Day, Panthers. Last night, whooping those Queenslanders. Good on yous. Couple of mates, I was texting them in a frenzy. Like, look at that. Take that. Anyway. It's always good to stir up the Queenslanders. I love it. Well, this morning, like I said, we're going to talk about a few different issues. But we wanted to talk this morning about, particularly firstly, about adoption. 
So both Al and Daz, you both have a story of adoption and you've journeyed through that story and obviously grown up today to have your own family and, and be fathers yourself. But I thought it'd be great this morning to hear a little bit about your story of being adopted and, and maybe the circumstances surrounding that um, and just maybe what you know about how that's taken place is a bit of a starting point. Um, well, I'm Welsh. I was born in Wales. Uh, my family migrated to Australia as 10-pound poms uh, when I was an eight-year-old. And one of the reasons my family migrated was that there were issues in my parents' lives and they felt moving to the other end of the world away from family support was a really good idea. So we moved to Australia and within three months the same issues that had been in Wales happened here. And I came home from school one day with two sisters and found a note on the table saying that my mother had left with another man. And then our dad came home from work and he saw that she was gone and he also went. So that was the last time I actually saw my parents. Um, oh, I heard the songs. <laughs> but it gets better. But, but that was the last time I, I, I saw my parents and, and I went into foster care and over a period of about six months went to a number of different families until the child welfare system decided that they would split me and my three sisters up. Um, so I went with a younger sister, the younger sister and my older sister and another sister went to another family. Um, yeah, so that's sort of how I got into the whole state ward system. Yeah, that's, that's a huge story. What about you, Daz? Uh, well, I found out I was adopted uh, when I was probably about, um, I think I was about 11, um, maybe 10 or 11 years of age. Up until that point, my youngest brother wasn't really um, asking any questions, but when he started asking mum and dad who were with us this morning, is that right? I was, okay, so I've been corrected. Anyway, I was young and um, <laughs> when I was told. And, um, and so that really kind of threw me a little bit and, um, you know, just kind of understanding who I was, where I was from, why I didn't look like everyone else or my cousins and that. Um, and so ultimately, um, you know, that's how I found out I was adopted. But um, in, uh, I think, 2012... Um, or somewhere around there, 2013 actually, I started uh, the journey of just um, going through the steps of finding out if, um, if there was a veto in place, if I could, if I could find my biological um, mother. And, um, and literally over the last 10 years, not because of, I guess, any slackness, just kind of just being busy, um, just on and off getting dribs and drabs of information... But um, as of the start of August, I think it was the 2nd of August, I completed the forms with the, the Benevolence Society that actually um, um, did the adoption of me. And uh, before I was Darren Wayne McMahon, I was Matthew Lee Christian Wright, like the Wright brothers. Um, so even though I was originally Maddie, you can call me Dazza, all right? Okay, so keep it at that. But, um, but basically I found out that my biological mum, um, she had actually given me up uh, almost immediately, only got to uh, see me once. Um, and how I found that out is about three weekends ago, I actually spoke to her for the first time. So, um, and it was because the Benevolent Society, the girl that did the casework, her name was Isabel, like my daughter, my goodness, so good on social media, these young ones, right? 
And she just found and obviously did all these other searches and actually found her. And she lives in, she's a Newcastle Knights uh, fan. Fantastic. Which is sad, if you ask me. <laughs> That's your heritage, I actually, I actually told her you should have lived in Penrith and gone for Pen No, I didn't. I didn't say that. That's terrible. Oh, that's amazing. So, so tell us a little bit about, you, you both have been adopted by incredible parents and have had a great journey in terms of um, people that have loved you and, and cared for you since that moment. But obviously, it's had a huge impact on your life. So tell us a little bit about how it's impacted your life and just that story about coming into another family and, and what you know of it and, and, and how it's kind of shaped you at, uh, to, to be who you are today. Um, well, I guess I... Uh I waited till I was 18 to actually go and find my real mother and my real father and my other sisters. Um, and when I see the family that I could have possibly grown up in and I see the family that I did grow up in, they're like chalk and cheese. Um, I, I was fortunate to go to a home um, where mum and dad both loved the Lord. So when I talk about my mum and dad, I'm actually talking about to me, I, I, I said to my mum one time that she is my unreal mum and I, I grew up surfing in Wollongong. So when I said to mum, you're my unreal mum, that was like a, a surfing... The surf's unreal today. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and I remember saying to my mum, you know, that, that she was my unreal mum. Uh, so when I talk about my mum and dad, that's who I talk about. They, they are my mum and dad. And, and they brought me up, especially dad... Um, he just brought me up showing me the ways of God. He brought me up showing me how to be a dad, um, how to be now a grandfather. And, and you know, I'm not perfect. I've got family here today and they'll tell you. There is no way I'm a perfect dad or a perfect pop. Um, but, but the influence of, of my, my parents on my life um, is amazing. I couldn't imagine life any different. And, you know, as an eight-year-old, I would have been devastated. I know I would have. Um, but I can stand here today or sit here today as a 66-year-old and just said I had the most amazing parents and I wouldn't want my life changed one iota because they sowed so much into my life that makes me who I am today. That's great. Alan. I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I too am like Alan um, with, you know, I've got two amazing parents and when I talk about mum and dad, I'm talking about my adopted parents um, and um, ultimately I, I was, um, I always look at, it, at my life as quite a, um, a, a humorous thing that God was just having fun with me, is that I literally was taken out of a situation which, you know, now that I know, um, just in my brief conversations already with my biological uh, mother, is that she said that she was never going to be able to care for me, never be able to... And in fact, if she'd kept me, she would have been rejected by her family. And so it would have meant that she would have had to literally do it as a single mum, no support at all. And, you know, who knows what life would have turned out like. But I see God puts me into uh, a family who at the... I think when I when I... When you first adopted me, you, we weren't attending church or you were attending church. You weren't attending church. We went when I was younger, right? And ultimately, um, I remember that God's humour was that I didn't just go to church every Sunday, but we were part of a growing church. 
and my parents decided to become the deacons in the church, which meant I went to not just one service, but four services. And then we just stay there, all stay Sunday. And the KFC near uh, Imaginations Church used to be a regular stop for me because the thing is, is that you, 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 we lived in Blacktown, but we would travel all the way to Penrith to go to where God was pouring out his blessing and where I found my salvation. My parents found their salvation too. And the reality was, is that, you know, I was literally forced to go to church. um, And there were times when I didn't want to go to church, but I just knew that uh, eventually those were the seeds that were placed in my life. And to the point where one day um, at a youth camp, one of the safest places on earth, right, at a youth camp, I drowned and I was revised, revived, and I knew that, wait a minute, there is a God, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and I almost went the wrong way. And, and that salvation moment was the moment when I've never, ever turned back. And, uh, and, I, and I do thank God every single day for not only my mum and dad, but also my wife, Linda, and all my kids, my family. I, I, thank, them, I thank God every day. Because I wouldn't change, like Al said, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, um, sure, there's been the ups and downs. There's been the identity, you know, like kind of figure out who I am, where I fit, am I a mistake, all this kind of stuff. Um, but just knowing that God's fingerprints is is just all over my life. And, and I know that he had some fun with me on the way and I had some fun with God too as on the way. But, um, but the reality is I wouldn't change a single thing because... Uh, you know, he has just directed my life. I, I can see that, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. And so tell us a little bit about your journey, about going through that in terms of forgiveness and, and, and just journeying through, you know, you touched on it there, Daz, about identity and some of those things that can sometimes probably feel like baggage from from those things that are kind of, they're big wounds to deal with as a, as a kid. Uh, and how have you gone through that? And some people say, oh, forgiveness is just instant, but sometimes it's a process, to be honest, isn't it? And so tell us a little bit about how you went through that with your uh, biological parents and just e- even if that's just been yourself going through that journey and, and how you've, you've kind of tried to work through that through your life as well. Um, well, when, when, when I found my parents after I turned 18, um, certainly with my mum, I had one goal in life and that was to punish her. Um, I wanted her to know exactly how I felt as an eight-year-old. Um, I'd had this ten years of, of life without her. Um, I'd not long been a Christian um, um, for the tenth time. I used to go to Camp Howard, ch- Anglican church camps every year. And mum and dad always said that they saved up all year to send me to the Anglican church camps down at Port Hacking. Um, because one week with me away from home was awesome. <laughs> and, 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 they said, and they said then, the week after I came back from camp, because at every camp I gave my heart to the Lord. Uh, and, and then one week after, I was awesome too. <laughs> but then I got back with my mates again. And, and then there was another year of saving to get me to the next camp. <laughs> and eventually they sent me to a Pentecostal camp. And um, my brother brother-in-law's brother was at the camp with me as well and we were the rebels at the camp and we had a bit of a bet there was a, a girl there and she was reasonably attractive and and I said to him let's have a bet to see who can pick her up that was the terminology I don't know if you young people still use that term but it was pick her up anyway we we had our bet and I thought well I might as well get the ball rolling straight away so I went straight up to her and I said look 
would I be able to sit with you during our little times at whatever we're going to be doing in these meetings? And she said, that's fine. Uh, and this is when I knew that God had a sense of humour. She said to me, well, I'm the keyboard player, so you'll have to sit in the front row. <laughs> so so I, I got saved at that camp and it was in the Megalong Valley on a June long weekend and I got baptised in water in the Megalong Valley on a June long weekend, which is, which is commitment. But... But so for the next few years, I was a Christian and, and solid Christian. Um, but then when I, I met Debbie, I was at a place where I, I wanted to punish my parents, especially my mum. And so I let mum get to know me again and basically I walked out of her life. I changed addresses, changed phone numbers, changed everything. I thought, I want you to know how it feels to be deserted. And... The wise woman in my life said to me, she said, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And straight away, um, I got convicted about it and, and I started saying to, to out loud, mum's not there, but I started saying to her, mum, I forgive you. Mum, I forgive you. And when I saw her, I'd say, mum, I forgive you. Um, and it took 10 years of me saying, mum, I forgive you. Mum, I forgive you. And then when I was about 28, I can remember saying to Debbie, you know what, I actually forgive her. And, but it was from verbalising it. It wasn't from harbouring it. And, yeah. and my sisters, you know, one of my sisters is a bit of a mess in her life. This is one that went to another family. And she used to say to me, how can you even forgive mum? And I told her, I said, you will never, ever move on in your life. And she's in her 60s now and she's still a mess. You will never, ever move on your, in your life until you give your heart to Jesus. Because it said, if I didn't have that in me, I don't think I could have ever forgiven my mum. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. I, um, I, I was, when I was younger, I was probably a little bit angry, but just angry at life mainly. Um, and just like that it had happened to me, why was I different to everyone else? Um, and I didn't want anyone to really know because um, I'd have people, my friends say, oh, you don't look like your brother, you know, and, and we'd just shut down the conversation and move on. So, but I don't, like, I think if anything, um, when, when I was younger, I just started to, you know, like, think about it. And especially in my 20s is when I started to think about it, had kids asking lots of questions why they look the way they look. And I'd say, well, you know, I don't really know why, but because dad's adopted, so I'd got no idea. Um, but I, I um, <laughs> the process with with this caseworker was actually so fast. In one month, she found, you know, got all my information. She found my biological mum. I've got something like five other half siblings and all this kind of stuff, which I haven't met yet. Um, but the the thing was is that you had to in part of the process. You had to write your first letter, and um, and this was like the worst. Um, flight I'd ever had in my life. It was from Mount Gambia back to... That was Adelaide to Sydney. And, um, and, and this caseworker always called me when I was at the airport about to fly somewhere, right? Like, I kept saying to her, Isabel, you don't understand how funny this is. You're calling me and I'm literally 20 minutes from boarding. And she's going, oh, wow. Then the next time, Isabel, you won't believe it, I'm at an airport and this was every week. And, um, and I'm just going, listen, just, just quickly give me the info. 
But when I started writing this letter, I started writing it somewhere between Adelaide and Sydney. And, um, and I'm on my phone and I'm telling you, it would have felt so awkward for the person next to me because I was just crying the whole time, wiping my eyes like this big baby, you know. And, um, and literally what I, they asked me to do was to write my first letter. So what would you say to your birth mum? And I guess it, it came down to what I'd been telling hundreds of thousands of students when I was doing school seminars because my uh, adoption was always the, the first thing that I would start telling them about to lay the, the platform of, of how you can live your dream. And like Al's talking about is actually moving past that hurt, that pain, those things that happen in your life and actually forgive and move on and it releases you. And, um, and I remember that um, I only had two words that I really wanted to tell her. Um, and that was, thank you. Um, and as I was typing those words, thank you, <laughs> I just remember thinking, what's this gonna, how's this going to affect her? Well, when we were talking on the phone, she'd had that letter read to her. And, um, and I actually then said to her, I said, Jennifer, you know, the, the one thing that I would say to you, and she said it with me, she'd say, thank you. And uh, <laughs> I said, look, you know, you just don't know what you've done for me and what you've done for my parents because they, you know, needed to adopt to have children and so you've actually helped my dreams come true and you actually helped their dreams come true. And she said to me during this call, she says, I always had the dream of having six kids. She says, but I came close, I had five. And I said, no, no, Jennifer, you're adding it up wrong. You just had one that was raised by someone else. And I said, you had your six. <laughs> you should have heard her. But uh, it was just, you know, just one of these moments in my life that I felt like, you know, it's taken 48 years for me to get here, is that I've gone, you know what, um, I just wanted to say thank you. And, um, you know, I didn't have, I, I, I think it was because of my salvation, Al. I think that for me was that moment of salvation so young um, that I just literally, I just, I forgave there. Um, and if I hadn't, Oh boy, ask mum. She would have. She knows where I was going, the path I was I was heading, the friends I was hanging around, yeah. and so um, I think going to church all the time was a, a strategy on their behalf to make sure that I just couldn't hang out with anyone else. I had to hang out with all the the Christian nerdy kids, and um, which are great mates now. And I'm a Christian nerd as well. I love it. Oh, I love that. That's so good. You know, when we, um, we caught up a couple of months ago, we were having a coffee, and I, and I think I asked you that question, what would you say to your biological mum? And you, and you said those words, you said, I, I would say thank you, because she could have terminated, I could not be here, but she gave me life, and, um, and that led me to go into a great family, and, and I just thought, what a great attitude to have, to say thank you, thank you for my life, I think that's powerful. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about meeting your heavenly father and how that's changed your life you not just the moment of um, coming to know Christ but also then how that's actually helped mold your life like we, we're all sitting on stage here today as not perfect people we're not perfect dads uh, we mess up we don't get it wrong and, and if you're here today we want to encourage the dads if there's a regret or there's shame or there's things that you've made mistakes in hey listen we all put a hand up and say we're all those people but we're on a journey of following Jesus and so tell us a little bit about how um, that's impacted your life and it still impacts your life today as a, as a follower of Christ? Um, I think for me, um, the, just the example of my dad, um, you know, 
I look at him and, and like I used to go into, you'd go into Sacred Night to Mum and Dad at night and I reckon that more than 90% of the time that I went in, Dad was on his knees next to the bed and, and I know the little mongrel that I was for, for all those teenage years. I know what he was doing when he was down on his knees. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, he would have been thanking God for me. Um, as much of a mongrel as I was, he would have been on his knees thanking God for me. And, and, you know, he's one of my um, sisters, not my adopted sister, says to me that one thing that um, she regrets in her life is that Dad never cried over her and Dad cried over me. And I... He had to come and get me from something that I'd done wrong and at the, with the police and, and, and he just cried there with the police. And, and he just showed me then, because I'm sure there's been plenty of times that Jesus cried over me too. And, and he showed me then and there the Father heart of God. And, and as I said, you know, I've, I've made lots of mistakes in, in my life. Um, but there's always been one thing that stayed rock solid and that's my faith in God. And, and I know that, that the way that I father, uh, the way that I am with my grandkids, my family is so important. Yeah. And, and I, I guess a lot of that's because of what happened to me as a kid. Uh, and, you know, I used to say to Debbie, I will never leave you because of what my mum and dad did to me. And we were in church here one time and we used to... Some of you remember, we used to have names on our seats. And I used to sit in the front row up here and back in the day. And, and Mike Kelly was preaching. And I have no idea what he even was preaching about. But I, I was blubbering away in my seat. And I knew I had to say to Debbie, apologise to her and just say to her, you know, the reason I will never leave you is got nothing at all to do with my parents the reason I will never leave you is because of the love that I have for you. And that's what my dad was like. That's what he was like. He used to take breakfast to mum in bed every day without fail, every morning. Now, anyone else here do that? No. Oh, oh. At least he was honest. He said he's imperfect. <laughs> yeah, but I think, um, I think my faith in God has made me a much better father and a much better husband, and yeah, I, I just think, I, I can't look at, I, I, I just know that that's, that's what changed my life, and that's, I couldn't wait to have a family, I could not wait, the day that, that Debbie went to have her, her test, to see if she was pregnant, and we didn't have mobile phones back then, and I can even remember the phone box in Auburn, uh, and I pulled up the car, and I rang her up, and she told me the news that we were having our son. And it was one of the happiest moments of my life. And then just, we, well, then we had four in four years. So <laughs> <laughs> we had, <laughs> it, it was happy moments then, happy time, happy time. So, yeah, but yeah, I, I know that my relationship with God has is, is guided me through my life and in my workplace and in my home life. Well, my, my salvation uh, moment at that youth camp, um, just for me, literally just was a pivotal moment in my life. I mean, I think it, it avoided uh, a lot of the bitterness that, you know, the anger turning into bitterness 
um, and that never really grabbed hold of me. And so I've always been very soft um, and I guess towards the whole adoption thing um, because it's not really been an issue. I think when I preached here um, a couple of months ago, I, I mentioned that uh, the scripture about being adopted in Christ and, and how I actually fully understand that I have a revelation of what that is because I know what it is to to go, go come from one side and then be adopted completely into a family and treated like a son. Um, and um, and so it's changed every area of my life. I am not perfect um, like you, Ben, um, who does breakfast every morning. Please. Um, as you guys love Amazon, right? You know, you probably just get it automatically ordered every morning. It's just Ubered in. It's just Ubered every morning. It just comes in. <laughs> hey, I got your breakfast. Um, so um, that'd be awesome. Oh, can you think of all the crumbs in the bed? I just could not imagine anything worse eating in bed. Anyway, but that's cool if you love that stuff. Um, so, um, but ultimately, it's changed every area of my life. I, I think yeah, that I'm a. I mean, I'm not perfect. Belinda would be the first to tell me that. Um, actually, probably the last, but she's so nice. But um, I think that, you know, it, it has helped me in every area, everything from the way I, I, you know, like am a dad, am a friend, but also just right through to my finances and everything in life. Every, every area of my life has been influenced and, and impacted by that salvation moment where I truly didn't just make a decision, I actually was adopted into a whole new family and, um, and, and that has forever changed me. That's brilliant. Well, <laughs> I know, you're getting a few claps, guys. That's great. Petitions talking. <laughs> well, if the team want to come and join us, I've just got one more question and I just wanted to... Um, I think you're both incredible fathers and you've got great families and um, as we said before, none of us are perfect fathers but uh, when I look at your life and I look at the way you love your kids and, and you have a heart for them, I just thought maybe there's something you could encourage us as, as, as dads in here or parents in here this morning with or some values you try and put into your kids or just things that are important to you and, and, and what, what you'd encourage with um, fathers with this morning uh, just as being a father and that journey of fatherhood um, I think you always think you're going to be more prepared and ready than you are and you're just journeying through it and every moment of fatherhood, it just feels like it opens a whole new kettle of fish and, and you're just on this journey. So tell us a little bit about your journey with fatherhood and, and, and how that, uh, some of those things that are important to you and, and how you could encourage us as fathers. Um, oh, I've had to be honest because some of the kids are sitting over there. <laughs> um, I, I think... Um, you have to be a really good example. Um, and if you make a mistake, be big enough to say you're sorry. Um, you know, because, yeah, you, and it's the same as kids, you know. When you make a mistake, be ready to say you're sorry too to your mum and dad. It's a two-way a two-way street. And, you know, for the young dads, you know, we've got a young baby up the back here. Babies change your life. Um, you know, they change every aspect of your life. And then when you go from a, a, a three-kid family to a four-kid family, they change your car as well. <laughs> um, so, but I, I, think, I, I think the thing with parenting is just being honest. If you're struggling, be honest. Talk, yeah. like, talk to your wife about it or, you know, talk to someone about it. But, 
But I think, um, yeah, just being ready to apologise when you make mistakes. And, and we do make them. Um, and your kids make mistakes, but just, just love them. And, and I think, yeah, I love my boys. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I feel blessed every time. Like, I feel so blessed that some of them are here today. Um, you know, it's just, I love them. I love my grandkids. And I know they all love me. And I love Debbie. You know, Debbie's an amazing woman. And, yeah, I just thank the Lord for, for her. Amazing. I think when uh, both Blinna and I became parents, um, we straight away, you know, obviously had already put things into our marriage that were rock solid and have been like that since the day we, we got married. Um, but we then had to, like Al was saying, you know, things change when the kids come along. Uh, when we had our fourth, um, I went and bought a two-seat convertible so I could take one of the children and the other three could go with Belinda. So you're right, it does change your car. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> so everyone's going, this guy. Why did Ben have him up here? Just leave Al up here. You've done so good, I tell you. Um, no, but seriously, um, I think that, like, when it comes to parenting... I've said this before when I've spoken. Guys, girls, husbands, wives, mums, dads, listen, church is not an option. Okay, like I've been a youth pastor and I've seen the ones where they make it an option and then I've got those parents standing in front of me saying, help me with my kid. I'm like, I tried when they were in year seven and oh, by the way, I was overseeing kids' church too and I was saying, no option, just come to church come to youth this is what you do and that's something that we've done our whole lives and it's not religious it's out of relationship and it's out of the fact that we have respect for the God who has blessed us now when I that's taken out of context and I want to make sure that that's clear it's not like he just gives me stuff he's like your dad or if you think of your ideal dad that he's always wanting to help right my parents whenever we needed something straight away first to offer that's how god is god wants to help but you know what um we always made sure that our choices aligned with what god's will was for our life and that was for us to be at church and that that was for our kids to be in kids church and our kids to be in youth and so forth it was just this there was this no options we are just here to serve why because we respect the fact that god has blessed this family with salvation and with all that we have. He gives us the abilities and all of those things. It's a whole sermon in itself. So that was the first thing that we did. Um, one of the other big ones we we um, we did with our kids is that, and it's you know carried right through now into their twenties. It's just you know just life needs to be full of activity. You know we would just always have stuff on. We'd go to church events. We'd go to youth events. We'd go to sporting events. You know there was no time for any anything to really go wrong really in our in our family we just always were wanting to just be doing stuff together and go and watch them do stuff and um, these are just some of the really simple fundamentals um, you know like Al's touched on it praying together you know every time we eat um, we pray together every time 
um, even in public, and they reluctantly still put their hands out as 26-year-olds, you know. And I'm like, close your eyes. We're going to pray together, right? And I don't care if the table next to me hears it because I'll actually speak louder so they do hear it, right? <laughs> so it's, it's about unashamedly, you know, just being consistent. And, you know, I think Al touched on it, and I'll say it again, is that, like, I am not perfect. Um, I, I, every, everything within me wants to be perfect, but I know I'll never get it. And, and it's almost like every time I try to be perfect, I keep failing. And um, sadly, uh, I was speaking to Dave earlier out there and we we're talking about cars and bikes and that. But, you know, I actually said to him, sometimes, you know, the very people that our ministry, Your Dream School Programs, is actually serving, they get the best of me and then my kids and my wife get the worst of me. And I think these are the things that keep challenging me week by week by week to, to literally, you know, just keep you know, God at the center, that I'm, I am not perfect, but I want to keep trying to serve and keep trying to love, keep trying to be the dad, the son, the brother, the friend, the, the, the whole lot. I want to try and be the best person I can be, but I can only do it through his strength. And, and like your father, Al, like, you know, he's on his knees ne- next to the bed praying for you, but he's, he was probably praying for himself too to keep leading you, to turn you into such an amazing man that you are now. And, um, and I, th- I know that's what my parents are doing. They were praying constantly and they had intercessors in the church praying for me. And I'm telling you, parents, fathers, be consistent, pray together. And uh, I think that's the old saying, isn't it? Is that it, the family that prays together stays together. That's really good, Taz. I love that. Well, I'm just going to read a scripture and then I'm going to ask Al whether you'd pray for us in terms of just knowing our Heavenly Father, but also just pray for us as fathers to be, to be great dads. And so Ephesians 4, um, sorry, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Why don't you pray for us, Al? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that that we have a day called Father's Day. Lord, because it draws our attention to you. Lord, and we've all got our earthly fathers, but you're our heavenly father. Lord, and I just thank you, Father God, that, that the love you have for each one of us it's just awesome, Lord. And, you know, you, we read in the 23rd Psalm that says, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And, Lord, a shepherd loves his sheep. A shepherd goes and prepares for the, in the paddock where he's going to put his sheep to make sure there's nothing in there to harm them. And, Lord, that's like you with us. Lord, you just prepare a way for us where there is no harm. Lord, I just pray that each one of us in this room today and online, Lord, uh, just allow you to be our dad that allow you father god to 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 be the best dad that we ever could have lord i mean you know, as earthly fathers we make mistakes but as our heavenly father lord you don't so lord i just pray that that there would just be a rich blessing of of you on everyone in this house this morning lord god lord i pray that each person here today lord would get to know you as their heavenly father would get to know you and sometimes we say heavenly and it's you think of off in the sky but it's not it's here it's here and it's now 
And yeah, you're a heavenly father, but you're in our hearts, Lord God. So I just pray, Lord God, that that uh, yeah, that each person here today, Lord, would just know you, and, and just know, Lord God, that that you are a God that loves them. I don't know everybody's background. We don't know what family situations they're even here from today. But Lord, I just pray that everyone would just be reaching out to you as a heavenly Father. We just thank you, Father, in your awesome name. Amen. 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 That's a great prayer. And can I just encourage you? It's as simple as saying, God. I invite you into my life. I want to know you personally. And you can pray that however you want to pray it, from your seat, from at home, from wherever. It's as simple as just saying, Heavenly Father, I want to know you. I invite you in. And so I encourage you to pray that prayer if you haven't prayed that before. Invite him in and let him do a great work in your life because he loves you and he has the best plan and purpose for your life. Would you give these guys a huge hand this morning for what they've invested? Come on.